we are excited to see what you're going to do this morning in our lives. We know that you don't speak just to give us uh, more information, but you speak to draw us closer to you, that we would enter into a deeper relationship with our Creator. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, God, that, uh, that the areas in our lives that um, we're holding back from you, we're fearful of you touching and, and working on and, and sh- shaping and molding, I pray that today would be a, a, a day of freedom, that we would learn that the only true freedom is abiding in you, following you, allowing you to be the one who orchestrates Uh, all things in our life. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you. The freedom to serve you and love one another. Freedom from bondage to sin. Freedom from the penalty of death. And the freedom to be your child. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across kind of a a self-assessment this week. And it made me sad, so I'm going to take you through it also. If you would uh, take a look at a, a scripture that I think we're all familiar with, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can open in your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter that's known as the love chapter, I call it the character of Jesus chapter. But if you look at verse 4, read it quietly with me. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And then we read, love never fails. I want to do, just ask a favor. Take the word love and put your name in there. And let's read it. Now, obviously, don't say Dan. Say your name quietly to yourself. Dan suffers long. Dan is kind. Dan does not envy. Dan does not parade himself. Dan is not puffed up. Dan does not behave rudely. Dan does not seek his own. Dan is not provoked. Dan thinks no evil. Dan does not rejoice in iniquity. Dan rejoices in the truth. Dan bears all things. Dan believes all things. Dan hopes all things. And Dan endures in all things. See my wife shaking her head. How does that feel when you read it that way? Which ones seem the most outrageous to you when you put your name in front of them? See, here's the reality. If we are impatient, unkind, envious, boastful, proud, if we treat others as if they have no value or our value is greater than theirs, if we're self-seeking, if we're easily angered, if we're always keeping record of wrongs, that is not Jesus. That is our flesh. That's not our new identity in him. That's the old man. 
If we're deceitful, if we're always thinking the worst of others, if we have no hope, if we give up on things when they get hard or when uh, we're inconvenienced, that is not Christ living through us. That's the old man. That's our flesh. And that made me sad. (laughs) Because as I read 1 Corinthians and I think about the nature of Jesus Christ and his character, and then I look in the mirror and I see how distant I am from who he is, I begin to wonder, how do I reconcile what I know about myself with who God says that I am? How do I reconcile the person I look at in the mirror every morning in who's in who God's word says that I am. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Who does God say that we are? In Ephesians 2, we learn that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Galatians 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I, am, I, it's, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He goes on in Galatians 4 and says, We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are sons and daughters of God. And then in Romans 8, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you feel like you're more than a conqueror this morning? Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So where's the disconnect? This is, this is hard. So much of Scripture is self-authenticating, meaning we read it and we're like, yeah, that's, that's humanity. When, when God's Word describes the world that we exist in, it's self-authenticating. We don't read something that simply isn't true about the world around us, but sometimes when I read about who God says that I am, I struggle with that. So what's the difference? How do we reconcile those two things? And here's the key word, Ephesians 4.1. You might have just picked it up in Romans 6.4 also. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to what? Walk. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk. The work is done. It is finished. It's time for us to walk. Look look at what Paul's saying there in that first verse. I therefore... If you want to take your pen, if you're a note taker and you don't mind writing in your your Bible, you might just want to write chapters 1 through 3. Because that's what Paul is saying. Therefore. Therefore what? Well, therefore in Ephesians 1, 3, 
Because God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Verse 1-5, because we are adopted children by Jesus Christ unto himself. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7, we are redeemed, we are forgiven. He has imparted to us all wisdom and understanding. In him we have received an inheritance. And then he writes in verse, chapter 1, verse 18, I hope your eyes will be open to the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and the greatness of his power for those who believe the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave and set him at the right hand, hand of God where he is alive today because of that, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's similar to what Paul does in Romans chapter 12. He spends 11 chapters talking about who God is, how we're separated from God by sin, and what God has done to reconcile mankind unto himself, that great high price that he paid through his son Jesus Christ. And it's not until then does he say in chapter 12 of Romans, now therefore... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Some of your translations say, which is a reasonable act of worship. See, in those first three chapters, Paul has told us everything that we have in Christ. All that we have gained by placing our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6, And you he made alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says, this is what God has accomplished on your behalf. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Pastor John mentioned this last week because Paul referred to himself again. Not, he's in chains right now. He's in jail. He's in prison. But he knows really who is in control. That's just sound effects. It makes the point for me. He knows who's in control. It's kind of like Elijah as he went to King Ahab and he told King Ahab, it will not rain for three years. And that is by the Lord whom I stand in front of now. Elijah knew the authority that he stood in front of. He knew Elijah wasn't in control. And Paul knows the Roman Empire isn't in control. He says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. I am in chains because he wants me to be in chains. It's not enjoyable. It's not something he probably would have orchestrated himself. But he knows that either God is on the throne or he's not. He says, I am the prisoner of the Lord. Oscar, you're wounded, so we're going to give you a pass. You're fine. 
I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. And then he begs the body of Christ. He says, I beseech you, and here it is, to walk worthy. Now we hear the word worthy, and I think many of us think earn it. Walk in a way that earns it, that makes us worthy. But that word worthy, it means weight. In the way that Paul's using it, it's a counterweight. Walk in a way that signifies, that equates to the calling with which you were called. Let me put it this way. Imagine just an overgrown jungle, and someone has gone through and cut a path for you. They have taken a machete, they've cut through that jungle, and not only that, they've illuminated for you. They've put torches all the way down this path, and now all you have to do is walk down that path. Would it make any sense for you to close your eyes and to start swinging a machete as if the path has not already been cleared? That's what Paul's saying. Walk in a a manner that's worthy of the calling with which you are called. Walk in a way that signifies, that reflects the work that God has already done for you. God has cleared the path. He's illuminated that path. It's our responsibility to now walk. Again, let me give you Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should what? Walk in newness of life. We are a new creation. All that's left is to learn how to walk in it. To look in front of us. To take the path that's well lit in the way that has been cleared and walk in it. Think about what Jesus said to the paralytic man after he healed him. It's an interesting use of words here. He didn't simply say, get up and walk. What did he say? First, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. What if that paralytic man looked at Jesus and said, no, I can't. I can't walk. I've never been able to walk. I was born this way. I've been lame my whole life. I cannot walk. No, he got up and he exercised that newfound ability that God, that Jesus had given to him. Yes, Jesus had healed him physically, but he did something far more significant. Your sins are forgiven. What did he tell the woman who was caught in adultery? After all of the men came and accused her and tried to trap Jesus and said, the law says that we're supposed to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him in either being a God of justice or a God of mercy. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, whoever's without sin casts the first stone. You're right, sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. So you're right, she deserves death. And if you're without sin, then judge her cast the first stone. And we learn that from oldest to youngest, they walked away. 
And Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, nowhere, my Lord. What did he say? Go and sin no more. Walk. Walk in that newness of life. But I know what many of you are thinking. I've fallen so many times. I've fallen in the area of pornography. I've fallen in the area of just being angry and letting my anger dictate what I do. I've fallen in the area of um, substance abuse or bitterness. I'm just constantly returning to past hurts and I can't give them up. I know God says that I'm free from them, but I don't feel that way. So let me ask you this. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your feelings or God's word? Because God says that we are free. And the lie that the enemy likes to perpetuate is we are still trapped in sin. But guys, we have victory in him. Romans 6, 18. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. Now you are free. And you have become slaves to righteous living. I, and again, I get it because I wrestle with this. We've been lame for a long time. We've been, if, if you lived in rebellion against God for many years like I have, I know how to be paralyzed. I know what it means to have no control over my flesh. I know what it means to not be able to walk in the spirit, and we get used to that, and we're so used to feeding that old man and serving that sinful nature, we don't realize we don't have to walk that way anymore when we find Christ, or better said, when he finds us, and he frees us. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? So walk in him. Galatians 5, 16, I say then what? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We are all learning how to walk, but the work is done. The path has been cleared. And it takes us a while to realize that our desires have now changed. It, It doesn't mean that our flesh has been completely silenced. It doesn't mean that... That there isn't a little bit of satisfaction in sin, but what truly fulfills us, what gives our lives purpose and meaning, that has changed. We are a new creation with new desires. And uh, let's, let's do something real quick. Let's all check our phones and just make sure that they're on vibrate. I'll check mine too, because I'll say that, and then mine will go off. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So we're going we're gonna to approach this chapter a little bit differently. I don't want to get into chapter or verses 2 through 16. We're going to save those for next week. I want to begin with chapter 17 because Paul is teaching us how to walk here. 
He is explaining to us kind of the environment that we best learn to walk. And first, and I know you've come across these videos on, on YouTube and, and TikTok and all, all that stuff. Um, if you have TikTok, we'll talk later. But how many of you have seen those videos? And it could be on any subject, gardening or uh, working on your car. And it's five things not to do. Five mistakes made when you're gardening or five mistakes you make when you're meal prepping or something like that. That's kind of what Paul's doing here in verse 17 where we're going to start this morning. If we want to stay grounded and not in a good way, if we want to stay immobilized, if we want to look at the finished work of Christ, and not allow that to be the finished work in our own lives, then Paul says, this is how to do that. If you want to stay immobile, then just live like this. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord. I want to pause here because there's a lie, and I think it's been around for a long time, but People who like to critique Scripture, they'll say that the, the uh, apostles, when they wrote their letters, they didn't even know they were writing Scripture. They didn't know that, um, that what they were writing was going to be treated as God's Word and God's authority for the church. Guys, that's a lie. That's, that People have not read the Bible if that's what they believe. Look at what Paul says himself. I testify in the Lord. He is claiming the authority of God. He's saying what comes next, it's not my words, it's God's word. It's his authority. So therefore, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of what? Their mind. Guys, this is where the battle begins. And I know no, I've been talking a great deal about this, and really Paul has. Paul has been bringing us to the battle of the mind. And I think for the American church, this is where the war is waged. And I am, I am going to stand on this soapbox um, for as long as I need to for myself and for the people I care about. We need to take back control of our thought life. We have freely given it over to our devices. Our devices dictate what we set our minds on. And I, I believe wholeheartedly if we're going to have victory and we're going to walk in the calling that we have been called into, we need to put the devices down. And some of you may not be happy with that statement. But we're waking up and we're pulling them off our nightstands. And the first thing we're setting our mind on is whatever we find in our email box, whatever YouTube wants to feed us, whatever any of our apps wants to feed us. And then when we go to bed at night, what are we doing? And this might not apply to everyone, but it applies to many people today. We are scrolling and we're scrolling and we go to bed thinking about whatever we scrolled past. Futility of the mind. That's what Paul is dealing with. You should no longer walk like that old man. You should, never, you should no longer walk in like you did 
before you became a new creation. And how did you walk? Well, he starts with the mind, in the futility or vanity of your mind. That's pointlessness. That's uselessness. Paul says, do not dwell on worthless thoughts that accomplish nothing. It's not just sinful thoughts. It's just empty, worthless thinking. When do you do your best worthless thinking? Think about that for a moment. When do you do your best worthless thinking? When do you have arguments with people that aren't even there? When do you worry about things that you have no control over? When do you complain to yourself? When do you relive past offenses? When do you rehash previous conversations and you think, man, I wish I hadn't said that, and there's no way to go back and change what you said. I relive conversations that I had 10 years ago, and I'm like, man, why did I say that? There's nothing I can do about it. They are long gone but they still occupy space in our minds. That is the very definition of futile thinking. And we've got to win this war if we're going to walk in the newness of life that Christ has earned for us on the cross. So think about when you do your best worthless thinking And when you get to those moments, take those thoughts into captivity. We can't, it's been said before, we can't change our hearts. That's the work of the Spirit of God, but we can change our minds. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, were you raised with Christ? Anyone? Anyone here raised with Christ? I was. So this applies to you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, it doesn't mean don't think about the road in front of you because it's on the earth. It's talking about worldly, earthly things. Don't think about the things that our enemies would want us to think about. And who are our enemies? It's our flesh, it's the devil, and the broken systems of this world. Don't think about those things. Think about the goodness of God and the price that he paid to make us his son or his daughter. Think about the work that's in front of us. Think about what we've been called to. Think about who we are in Him. Think about the freedom we have in Him. Think about the many blessings that we have. Have a heart of gratitude. Start going down a list of the things that you are grateful for. You may think, well, if I don't have things to worry about, then I have nothing to think about. Start praying. Start going down the list of everybody that you know Think about them and pray about them. I guarantee you'll fall asleep like that. We don't need secular psychology to tell us what is biblically true, but one thing that they're finding is that what you set yourself, your mind on in the morning and in the evening does the most to shape your mindset throughout the day. 
what you're thinking about what you, when you wake up and when you go to sleep at night dictates really your mindset for the entirety of that, that day. And that's just reaffirming what God's word already tells us. So what should we be thinking about? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, you know what, if we could just start here, I think we would be in better shape. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, meaning authentic, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, innocent, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if a good testimony, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what we should be thinking about. But here's the problem. If, if we're new to the faith, if we haven't been walking with Jesus very long, or maybe we've been walking with him for a long time, but we just haven't engaged in the things that matter to him, that are valuable to him. We have a whole library of just broken thoughts and thinking and experiences that we can pull from. So where in the world can I find these things that seem so contrary to the world that I live in to think about. I feel like I'm making them up. I'm trying to imagine the goodness of God. I'm trying to imagine um, what is good and what is noble, what is true. I was born into a fallen world and all I know is fallenness and the people that were supposed to protect me, they harmed me. And so that's what I think about because that's all that I know. How can I get this new library of, of righteous thinking when all that I have on my shelves is corrupt content from a corrupt life? Join us next week for that. No. Some, it starts here. God's revelation of himself to mankind, which he preserved for thousands of years, the truth of God, his nature, his love, his compassion, his story of rescuing mankind. It starts by knowing the word of God. And then it continues into what we're doing this morning. Not just listening to one man exercising his gifts. It's the fellowship with the saints. That's what we're going to get into next week. That's what we're going to dig into next week. Paul's going to give us the training grounds or the proving grounds where we best learn to walk. We also gain new content when we serve others. When we involve ourselves in things that get our minds off of ourselves and onto others. It's been said again. This isn't new, but pop psychology says if, if you're in a dark place, go out and serve somebody. They're just taking that from Scripture. Get your mind off of yourself and onto someone else. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I know this can be very difficult living in a fallen world, but we need to stop shooting ourselves in the foot. We have enough corrupt content already. Let's not expose ourselves to more that our mind can pull from.
Let's be careful what we're exposing ourselves to and instead start learning what it means to have minds that are set on things above and not the things below. Look at verse 18. So again, walking in a manner worthy of our calling begins with our thought life. And then Paul goes on to explain really how that old nature operated in verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Who's they? It's who we used to be. It's the the man or woman who has not been transformed by the Spirit of God. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness. How many of your Bibles say hardness of heart? Mine says blindness. A better translation there is hardness. Because the word that Paul uses, the Greek word for marble, it's a kind of marble, but it also is a marbling process or a petrification, a continual hardening and hardening and hardening of the heart. Who being past feeling, and again, some of your Bibles say calloused, how many guitar players are past feeling on one of their hands? Because of all the many uh, hours spent playing guitar and the tips of your fingers just develop these calluses. And you could take a, a, a needle and stick it in and you wouldn't feel it because there's no feeling. The many hours of thinking on futile things and rejecting the Spirit of God has left them past feeling, having have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. So let's pause here for a second. So we know this is our old nature. This is the world around us. This is a world that has rebelled against the good rule and reign of God. But it's not just a one-time rebellion. It's a continuing rebellion. Because Romans 1 tells us that creation testifies to the goodness And really the existence first and the goodness of God. We can't live and operate in this world without looking around and thinking, okay, there's some order to it. We can study the human body and, and be amazed how intricate just one aspect of it. The human eye defies all logic and all reason. And so what do we say as a people wow, what a glorious accident that was. That's a hardening of the heart. That's looking at something that's plain and true and defying common sense. Okay, everything around me that is a complex system has a creator except for the most complex system of them all, the human body. That's callousness. See, there's a an atheist by the name of Thomas Nagel. And I appreciate his intellectual honesty because it's rare that an atheist will admit to this. And he says, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief, it's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. 
And he goes on to explain that a belief in God that nobody approaches whether or not God exists without some form of bias. And I think he's saying out loud what most atheists deep down desire. They don't want there to be a God. Because if there is a God, then there's somebody that they're accountable to. And I say that coming from the place of atheism myself. I was brought up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were not perfect, but their love for Jesus was evident. And they made the existence of God to me unnegotiable. Not because they forced it down my throat, but because they lived out their faith in such a way, I had no question in my mind whether or not God was real and that God loved me. But I didn't want that to be true. I wanted the freedom to live my life any way that I wanted. So I was a practical atheist, not because I was convinced there was no God, but because I didn't want there to be a God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it wasn't until we were willing to say, yeah. it wasn't until we're will, we were willing to say, God, if you're real, I'm, I'm listening. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. See, as we continue to reject God, not just the creation around us, but His Spirit, that's one thing that we can hold fast to. God is seeking and saving the lost. He's using uh, the person of His Spirit to call home those who have uh, been lost. But as they reject God, their hearts are hardened. So what's, what's the warning to us? Okay, that's who we used to be, right? We used to be uh, men and women who rejected the good rule and reign of God, but we've come to the belief and understanding that God is real and that He loved us. It loves us, and He has provided a way for us to be made right with Him, and we're walking in that way. So, what's Paul warning us of then? That even though we're born again, we would continue to reject the voice of God in our life. We're learning to walk right now, and we need to win that victory of the mind, but we also need to listen. That's the key here. We can live lives as born-again believers, but practical atheists, where at any moment in our lives, we don't want God to have control. We don't want God to lead us. We don't want to hear the voice of God. We don't pray because we know what He's going to say. We can be born-again believers, but still practically live as atheists. And Paul says, don't walk that way. Anytime we fight for something that we know God does, doesn't want us to have, we are living like a practical atheist. That's not living in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. We have this great gift that we can hear the voice of God, that we can be led by His Spirit. We can feel pain. In fact, when we became born again, we 
felt things more deeply than we have ever felt them before because our eyes, was, our eyes were opened to the sinfulness of this world. That's a hard place to be, isn't it? It's hard being a born-again believer with eyes that can now see sin. There's a reason Jesus is called the man of sorrows. The weeping that we see Jesus do throughout the New Testament is weeping because of the world's unbelief. And it breaks us. The closer we are to the heart of God, the more broken we become because of the sinfulness of this world. The more broken we become for our loved ones that don't know him, the more broken we become. But that's a good thing because that's what moves us to action. The closer we are to his heart, the closer we know his voice, the better we know his voice, and the more we take on his characteristics. And that's being open and willing to hurt for others. But are we listening? Look at verse 20. This hardness of heart this unwillingness to yield to the will of God. Paul says in verse 20, you have not so learned in Christ. This is not what you learned from Jesus. If indeed you have heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This kind of brings it all together, right? Leave that old man behind. Leave that old nature behind. Come to the decision that you are a new creation. Make a deliberate choice, a conscious decision when you're tempted into sin or you're finding your place where you, yourself in a place where you're rejecting God's direction. Come to a place where you say, that is not who I am anymore. Trust in what Jesus has done. See, when we cast that man aside, our minds are renewed. When we're finally willing to say no to the flesh, that is where the enemy loses his battle. Take off the old man. Walk in that new man. Walk in true righteousness and holiness that only comes from God. That's why when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What self is he talking about? He's talking about the old self. Deny that old self. He has no power over you anymore. Pick up your cross because that cross is a reminder that you left that old nature on the cross with Jesus. And now you get to walk in a newness of life. He pinned that old nature to the cross. It has no power other than what we allow it to have in our life. And guys, this isn't simply positive thinking theology, trying to will something into being. Guys, this is simply being who we are. 
This is who we are now. But again, as a child learns to walk, we are learning to walk in this newness of life. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We'll close with this verse and then uh, we'll share communion with one another. If you would open with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold hold of me. Let's pray. We'll have the worship team come forward. I just want to ask before we take communion together,